You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Praise God. We could stop church right there and go home after hearing that. Why? Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we, you, me, the rest of the Gentiles, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Last week, we talked about Abram. We talked about in Genesis 12, the first time that God spoke to Abram and told him to leave. And then over the last couple of days and, and weeks, I've been kind of doing some studies for something else behind the scenes, and, and I've been studying Abraham in, Galatia, in Genesis chapter 12, and, and specifically in Genesis chapter 14, which we're going to read today. And uh, there is a sermon that I preach, I try and preach, I make it a point to preach one time every year, and it's this sermon right here called The Blessing of Abraham. And it's a, it's a vital, important sermon to me for multiple reasons, but I have 52 weeks, 52 Sundays a year to preach to you. And I make sure every year that at some point in the year when I feel led to preach this sermon to you, and hopefully as we go through this journey, you'll see the blessing of this sermon, that the blessing of Abraham might come There are two vital things to start understanding this blessing of Abraham. Number one, what God had to do to get this blessing to you. And number two, how you receive the blessing of Abraham. One, the importance of how God and what God had to do to get this blessing to you. And I'm so thankful that he got it to me. But the other important part is how do I receive, how do I walk in, how do I accept this blessing of Abraham. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every anyone who hangs on a tree. The scripture tells us that Jesus, God Himself, had to die on a cross, had to hang on a cross, so that the blessing of Abraham could be given to you. God Himself had to die for this blessing to be released. Not just any blessing, but a blessing. Of Abraham. It cost Jesus his life for the blessing to bestow upon you and to me. So, if this blessing costs God sending his son to the earth to die on the cross for it to be released, then it beckons us, it calls us, it encourages us to understand what this blessing is. If it was so important to God that Jesus had to die, then it should be so important for us to understand what it is, but even more importantly, to walk in it and live in it and experience it. We're going to look, as it says in verse 14, that it tells us how we can receive it. God had to send his son to die for it, to release it, but how we receive it in verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. Through faith. Through faith. Tells us that the only way that we can receive it is through faith. 
And in Romans, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. So I'm going to show you in the Scriptures what the blessing of Abraham is, but also by telling you and showing you the Word of God, it's going to increase your faith to be able to receive the blessing. That's a pretty good deal right there. Amen? So the blessing was given one way, and that's through Jesus, and it's received one way, and that's through faith. So let's read about this blessing that was placed upon Abraham. We're going to go back in time all the way to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 18, going through verse 20. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. We're going to be dropped in the middle of a story. I'll pick up and explain that story a little later on. But Melchizedek, it tells us who this, this person is, king of Salem. He brings out bread and wine. And who is this person? You can read about him in Hebrews as well. He's a king. King of Salem also means king of righteousness. He's a type and shadow and a figure of Jesus. He's a priest of God Most High, and he shows up to Abram, and he brings bread and wine. Now, this is the first time that the elements of communion are ever mentioned in the Scriptures, when bread and wine are brought together. Why we take communion starts right here. Law of first mention, we have bread and wine showing up, and it's brought by a type and shadow of Jesus, this king, Melchizedek, who's a priest of God Most High. And he shows up and he brings them to Abram. And this is what he says to Abram. Verse 19, and he blessed him. He blessed Abram and he said, here's the blessing of Abraham. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And then verse 20, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands And immediately, Abram's response to the bread and wine, to the blessing from the type and shadow of Jesus, of the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, the priest of God most high, was to open his hand, and it says that he gave a tenth, a tithe of it all. Not only is this the first time that communion is ever mentioned in the Bible, this is also the first time that tithing is ever mentioned in the Bible. So there is a massive significance to this moment right here as we see communion, as we see giving, as we see blessing, as we see a type and shadow to Jesus. And Paul gets a revelation that he brings to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 3, and he says, Christ is the one who had to die for this, so that this blessing would not just stay on Abram, but it would stay on all the generations of the Jews and the Gentiles, if they believed on Jesus, could receive this blessing as well. What a mighty God we serve, that he could bless a man years and years and decades and thousands and thousands of years ago. And that same blessing, that word that doesn't return void, is so powerful that it can show up in your life in 2023 if you receive it by faith. I don't know about you, but I'm already excited. we got a ways to go. So from reading this passage, we are going to discover three different components to this blessing. Number one, elevation. Number one, elevation. Number two, possession. And number three, dominion. Elevation, possession, and dominion. Blessed be Abraham of God most high, elevation. Possessor of heaven and earth, possession. 
who has delivered your enemies into your hands, dominion. You see, this blessing is very similar to what God told Adam at the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1. God's walking through the earth as he's speaking all these things, light be, animals be, trees be, sun be, planets be. He's speaking all of these things, and as he's walking through the earth, he trips over a mound of dirt. He says, hey, I got an idea. I'm not just going to speak humanity into existence. I'm going to kneel down and start building a human in the dirt. And he looks at his friends. He looks at the Trinity. He looks at the Holy Spirit who's there. He looks at the Word who's there. And he says, let's make man in our image. And he breathes life into him. Think about the elevation that just happened to Adam. He was a pile of dirt, and now he's made in the image of God. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good elevation. Then God creates Eve. And what does he create Eve out of? He puts Adam down for a nap, and he pulls a rib out, just one single rib, and he turns that rib into, whoa, man, praise God. And he didn't leave the, the, the rib as a rib, although I do like ribs, but he turned that rib into woman. That's a pretty good elevation, and the men say amen. 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 God created man in his image, elevation. Then he tells man to fill the earth and to subdue it. Fill the earth, possess it, subdue it, have dominion over it. In Genesis chapter 9, after the flood has destroyed the earth and Noah and his family is left, and they come off of the ark, God tells Noah a similar thing, to fill the earth, subdue it. He elevated him. Literally, he put him on top of a mountain, on the boat. He kept him alive. Everybody else died and sunk to the bottom of earth. And he elevated Noah to the mountain and kept him alive. And then he tells him, fill the earth, subdue it. So we see Adam. We see Noah. And then we see his great, 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 great grandson from Shem, Abram, show up. And God tells him the same thing. Multiple generations, God saying the same thing, saying the same thing, saying the same thing. And then Paul gets a revelation from Jesus himself who reminds Paul about the blessing that was placed on Adam, on Noah, on Abraham. And he says, yes, these were significant men in the Bible. But now all Gentiles have the ability and the access to obtain what Adam had, to obtain what Noah had, and to obtain what Abram had. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus, and that same blessing and that same calling is upon your life. God is calling you to elevate, he's calling you to possess, and he's calling you to have dominion over your life. So we now see a pattern of the heart of God for humanity on how and why we are made and what we are made to do. So let's talk about elevation first. Before it was ever called a church, God was already talking about it back in Genesis. Blessed be Abram of God Most High. That word, Most High, in the original text is Elon, E-L-Y-O-W-N. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm fluent in Cajun, not Hebrew. So, hey, thank you. We have somebody else who's fluent. 
So El, Elohim, is God of elevation. That word most high means uppermost, means loftiness, and means elevation. So God sends his prophet, sends his priest to Abram. And he says, you are blessed by God, the God of elevation. That's how God calls himself. God of most high. God of elevation. Let's just see how God has elevated you, elevated me, given everybody the chance to be elevated. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, but God, y'all know I love a but God scripture, who is rich in mercy. That's elevation right there. He's not pinching his pennies hoping that he can forgive you. He's not pinching his nickels and checking the bank account of grace to make sure that he can forgive all the people in the church today, all the people in the community, all the people in the world. No, no, no. He's rich in mercy. When sin was at its richest, grace was even more rich because of his great love with which he loved us. I want to remind you today that God loves you. No matter what you walked in with today, what I want you to walk out with is the knowledge of the love of God. God loves you, each and every one of you. He might not be a fan of some of the things that you've been doing But with his Holy Spirit inside of you, he's working to push that out of you in Jesus' name. God loves you today, which with great love, he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So this is how we start. Yay, praise God. We were dead and in our trespasses. I don't know about you, but dead people can't do anything. I know we have zombie movies. I know we have ghost movies. I know we have all these things that show dead people coming back to life and running and moving and and thinking and all those things. No, no, no. You can go to a graveyard any time in the day, and the dead people aren't mowing the grass. They aren't cleaning off their tombstone. They aren't going to work. They aren't going to see their family. They're dead. They can't do anything. There's nothing they can do to help themselves come alive. And not only are they dead, they're dead in their trespasses. But God, the God of elevation, God most high, look what he did. He elevated us, made us alive. Oh, praise God. That right there, we could stop church right there. We could thank God right there. I was dead. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get to God. But God, who was rich in mercy, who loved me, who knew I was dead, and not only was I dead, I was dead in my own pile of trespasses, the things that I had committed, the things that I had done. And he decided to make me alive. And not only make me alive, but together with Christ. He could have made me alive together with an angel, one of the archangels, one of the animals that's running through heaven, but he decided to make us alive with his son, Jesus Christ. And then he just, Paul just throws in this little snippet right here to help you. By grace, you've been saved. Praise God. Just, just real quick, let me just remind you, by grace, you've been saved. Look at verse six. The elevation isn't done yet because we serve an abundant God who does more than enough. He could have just raised us up and that would have been fine. But no, he made us alive together in Christ and he raised us up together and he took us out of our trespasses. He took us out of the darkness. He took us out of hell. And he made us sit together where? In heavenly places. 
with Jesus Christ. Do I have one more? Verse 7. Let's see if we can hold on. That in the ages to come, God isn't even done yet. Once you get to heaven, that in the ages to come, he's going to elevate you even more. He wants to show you more riches. He wants to show you more of his grace. He wants to show you exceeding kindness. We think when we get to heaven, everything is going to be at the 100% absolute perfect. And it will be. But you know what? There's even more when we get to heaven. You think God loves you now. You think God loves you when you get to heaven. It says here that he's going to love you even more. He's going to show you even more grace. He's going to show you even more kindness. I'm going to get bored in heaven. I'm just going to be in church all day, every day. No, no, no. He's going to be loving on you more and more. I don't even know how eternity exists. (laughs) Whoops. Let's see. Come back down. Here we go. Let's go. The beginning of the blessing of Abraham is that Christ died for you so that you could experience elevation from your sin and you can be brought to a place that you could have never experienced or achieved. The very first step that he does is he pulls you out of your sin. He pulls you out of death and he makes you alive. He elevates you there. And then the elevation just goes from there. You see, in Genesis 14, he says, And blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. You see, God elevates Abram with a new name. Now, we know that he calls him Abram to Abraham. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before he turned him into Abraham, he changed his name to Abram of God Most High. And then his name changed to Abraham of God Most High. He elevated his name. You see, when we become saved and we believe in Jesus, I am no longer Jeremiah, but now I am Jeremiah of God Most High. Kind of makes a change to how you see yourself and how you see God. He's your father. When you get adopted in, you take on that new family's last name. I got grafted in. I got brought in. I was an enemy of God. I was a stranger of God. I was a foreigner of God. But he brought me close and lets me call him Abba, Father. So if you're taking notes, just write your name. My name is Jeremiah. Don't write my name. Your name. (laughs) Jeremiah of God Most High. Daddy gave me a new name. He elevated me. That's how we now have the authority that I can say Jesus' name, and at that name, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess that he's Lord. That's how miracle signs and wonders happen, because God is on our side. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a time, make it a priority in your life to bless the Lord to thank him for the things that he's done for you, to thank him for the things that he's going to do for you, to thank him that he's on your side, that he loves you, that he gave you his word, that he gave you a church and a church family that you can be a part of, that you can pray to him. You don't have to go somewhere and ask somebody else to pray for you. At any point in time, I can sink and link up to heaven and pray to God. He can hear me. He can respond. He can answer that you make it a priority in your life to bless your God and your Father and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Why are we blessing him? Because he has blessed us 
with one, with a few, with a couple. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly places. Praise God. The scripture says that right now you are blessed with every blessing in heaven. Today, believe in faith that you've been elevated into all that God has for you. You see, we're told as we grow up the American way that the sky's the limit, right? You can believe for whatever you want. The sky's the limit. But as Christians, we are told that it's not the sky that's the limit. It's heaven that's the limit. And the Scripture tells us that heaven is limitless. It's limitless. And it says that we can pray, as it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing that's in heaven. So what's in heaven? There's no sickness in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's prosperity in heaven. There's God in heaven. There's Jesus in heaven. There's angels that are in heaven. Whatever's in heaven says that I'm blessed with those spiritual blessings, which means I can call down heaven at any point in time here on earth in my situation. There's sickness in my body. I need healing from heaven to come down and take care of that. There's stress and there's pain. Well, there's no pain in heaven, so God, I need your painlessness to come down from heaven. Sky's not the limit. Heaven's the limit. Praise God that heaven is limitless. So you right now, are elevated and blessed with things that take place in heaven. You've already been elevated. If you believe in Jesus, it's already available to you. So now let's talk about possessing it. The second part of it, possessing it. Possession. Blessed be Abraham of God most high. And then he says, possessor of heaven and earth. So we understand that if you read in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 15, you read that God made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant means that whatever Abraham has, God has. Which also means whatever God has, Abraham has. That's what a covenant means. Same thing when we get married. The husband says, whatever's mine is yours. And the wife says, I know that. And then the husband says, can I have anything? And she goes, no, whatever's mine is also mine. So, okay, that's the covenant. Whatever's yours is mine. Whatever's mine is yours. So that also means that Abraham owned everything that God had. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. So that's why when the blessing is released over him, God says, well, whatever I have, you have. And whatever you have, I have. Well, I possess heaven and earth, so therefore you as well, are a possessor of heaven and earth. I can show you this in an example. It's a beautiful story because God tells Abraham, once he has that promise, Isaac, to sacrifice Isaac. He said, hey, I want you to wake up, take your kid to the top of the mountain, I want you to sacrifice him. And it says in the scriptures that Abraham woke up early in the morning and left with Isaac. I have a son, I have a daughter. If anyone, including God, asks me to sacrifice my child, let me tell you this right now, I'm not waking up early. Probably going to drag my feet that morning. 
I'm going to burn the coffee. Oh, I got to fix another pot, God. We'll get, we'll get on the road in a minute. And, and, uh, and, and oh, the donkey ran away. The horse ran away. I've got to go get another horse. We'll, we'll get on the road by noon, God. I promise. Well, I've got to print out. We're, we don't have the internet yet. So I've got to, I've got to print out what, uh, the map and figure out the route, God. And, and, and oh, the map caught on fire. I sacrificed the map. I would drag my feet if I had to sacrifice my son. But it says Abraham woke up early in the morning and took his son and he said, hey, we got to go. We got to go sacrifice to God. And then as they're going up the mountain, he tells the servants, he says, y'all stay here. We will be back. And Abraham, who has done sacrifices before with his son, Isaac starts putting two and two together. Okay, we have the wood. We've got some oil and we've got the matches, but usually there's a sheep or there's an animal, and he says, there's no, Dad, you're here, and the sheep's here, and he says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? You can read that. And Abraham, as he's walking up the mountain, maybe even dragging his son, he goes, the Lord will provide. Okay, all right. And they get up to the mountain, and he ties him to the sacrificial as he sets it all up, and he goes to sacrifice his son, and God stops him because he sees in his heart that he is willing to go all the way through it. I don't have it up there on the screen, but I'm going to read it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, this is what's recorded that God once recorded about Abraham in that moment. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Listen to verse 19. This is Abraham by faith, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was convinced fully that God was going, even if he sacrificed his son and he killed his son, that God was going to raise him up from the dead. And when God saw that, he says, whatever you have, I have, and whatever I have, you have. You sacrifice your one and only son, so that means now I can sacrifice my one and only son. Wow. What a beautiful thing, this covenant that God and Abraham had. Because you did that, now I'll sacrifice my son for you and your family. We've got to roll. Here we go. You see, God decided to change Abram's name to Abraham before he had Isaac. Abram, his name means exalted father. So he's already introducing himself to his friends, to his family, to people. Hi, my name is Abram. I'm the exalted father, and he has no children. Also knowing that God promised him that he was going to have a son that would have generations that would be as much as the, the, the I'll just say sand in the sky, stars in the sky and sand on the beach. And before he ever has that son, God comes down and visits Abram. He says, hey, I want you to change your name. He says, okay, what are you going to change it to? Something like, like, like Samson, or are you going to call me Jesus, or, or, or Yeshua, Joshua? What, what, what kind of name are you going to give me? You're going to change it from, from exalted father, because I'm not a father, and you're going to give me this new name. And he says, no longer are you Abram, you're Abraham. And Abraham means father of many nations. And he says, come on, God, let's, 
Let's change the name to something else. Let's, let's do just something else. So now Abram, who is now Abraham, has to start confessing and telling people with his own mouth what God has told him and called him. I'm the father of many nations. Where's your kids? It's a pretty small tent you have back there. Uh, well, uh, they're, they're coming. How old's your wife? She's getting younger by the day. Oh, she's getting younger. Praise God. My name's Abraham, father of many nations, father of many nations, father of many nations. Didn't have one kid, and I'm the father of many nations. Before Abraham had possession of being the father of nations, all he had was a confession of being the father of many nations. In order for him to possess what God had for him, he had to start confessing what God had told him. You see, it doesn't make sense to take that first step. And actually, it would make sense in the natural that he needs to become a father first before he's called the father of many nations. In the natural, that makes sense to us. Before he's a father, let's, let's let him have a kid, and then we'll call him a father. That's what makes sense to us in the natural. But faith is not anything that makes sense. And those who have been in the faith long enough know that to be true. The problem is, I wrote this, is that you can't reason with faith. Faith in God is unreasonable. It goes against every natural instinct. You see, faith isn't careful. How's it not careful? Hey, Jesus, if that's you on the water, tell me to come. Yeah, come on. Nobody's ever walked on the water in the history of walking on water, and Jesus just says, come. It's not careful. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not calculating. Jesus has a handful of fish, a handful of bread, and there's 5,000 men. You know how hungry men are. Not to mention men, women, and children that need to be fed. And Jesus says, tell them to sit down and you feed them. Well, a couple loaves of fish and a couple, a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish doesn't equal to five, 10,000 people. Well, faith isn't calculating because all of a sudden multiplication starts happening rapidly. Faith isn't concerned about your situation. Multiple times the disciples would go out and fish. It says they fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus would stand on the shore and he goes, hey, caught any fish? No, we haven't caught any fish. Well, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Now, these are fishermen who know the water, who know the lake, who know their boat, who know their stuff, and they said, we haven't caught a single fish all night. We're tired, we're hungry, we're worn out, and faith is not concerned about your situation. And he says, throw it on the side one more time. We're already in the shallow. We've already come in from the normal fishing area. And they said, we'll do it. And how many fish did they get? Also, faith is not considerate of your circumstance. Faith doesn't care about your circumstance. Jesus walks in to the house of Jairus as they're already starting a funeral. You're, his daughter's dead. Leave him alone. And faith isn't concerned about that circumstance. He kicks everyone out and says, she's just sleeping. Jesus shows up to a funeral four days late with Lazarus. And they're crying and they're wailing and they're saying, where have you been? But it's not considerate of your situation. He says, roll the stone away. Well, it's going to stink. Okay, it'll stink for a little bit, but the dead's coming back to life. Faith in God is not reasonable. But faith in God is expected if you want to possess what God wants you to possess. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 
19 and a couple more scriptures, talking about Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, praise God, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, verse 19, and not being weak in faith. Remember how we obtain this promise? It's in faith. Abraham, who was told he was going to be a father and was getting older and older and older, watching his wife getting older and older and older, he did not, he was not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Look at verse 20. Look at this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but look at this. He was strengthened in faith. How can we be strengthened in faith? The next step right here, giving glory to God, opening your mouth and speaking the confession so that you can possess it. He was fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. And look at verse 22. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Proverbs 18.21, I talk about this scripture all the time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But that word power, Proverbs 18.21, that word power, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That word power in Hebrew means hand, actually. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. And whatever you're saying is what you're going to grab onto. Those that eat it, those that speak it will eat of its fruit. So imagine that. Whatever you're saying is what you're grabbing. Well, God doesn't love me. God will never show up. Nothing will ever change about this situation. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. And then your tongue is constantly going out and grabbing whatever you're saying. Let's choose for our mouth our mouth hand, to go out there and grab onto life, grab onto the Word of God. Your current confession in life will be your future possession. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. Your current confession, what you're talking about right now, what you said in your car to your spouse on your way here, I don't know if we're ever going to pay the bills. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a new job. I don't know if this marriage is ever going to work. I don't know if our kids are ever. Whatever you're saying right now, your current confession in life will be your future possession. So why not confess the word of God? God is on my side. Greater is he that's in me than anything that's in the world. I am healed. I am the temple of the Most High God. I have the mind of Christ. Your current confession will be your future possession. Start declaring by faith God's word to possess a new future. Let your mouth grab a hold of your future or shut your mouth up. How about that? Galatians 3.29. We're almost done. Hopefully you're blessed by this. Galatians 3.29. And if you are in Christ, we're going to do a little math equation. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So God told Abraham, whatever I have, you have. So I'm the possessor of heaven and earth. So Abraham, you're the possessor of heaven and earth. And Paul had the revelation. Could you put that scripture back up, please, my love? Thank you, baby. 
And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So if I am saved and I am in Jesus, then therefore I am in Abraham's seed as well. So if God's the possessor of heaven and earth and Abraham's the possessor of earth and I'm in Christ, then that means you and me and anyone else who is in Christ is a possessor of heaven and earth and the promise and the blessing of Abraham is available to you. Whatever God owns, Abraham owns. Therefore, whatever Abraham owns, you also own. Like I said, I have two kids, and whatever I have is theirs. Now, they're not in the point and place right now to use some of those things that I have. I have a car, and my, my car is my kid's car. But they don't know how to operate it yet. Recently, we've been pulling into the driveway and letting the kids get on our lap and drive the car into the driveway and try and get into the garage, but all they want to do is honk the horn. They don't understand the full power of the, the thing that they're driving. They want to turn on the air. They want to honk the horn. They want to roll down the window, but there's so much more power to the vehicle that they haven't tapped into yet, but whatever I have is theirs. They might not know how to use it yet, but if they keep asking their father, how do I use this? How do I grow in it? How do I overcome this? I can teach them how this powerful car works, and it's not just the horn. Some of you who've either been in church for a long time or you're new to the Christian faith, you're reading this Bible and you're just honking the horn. John 3.16, John 3.16, John 3.16, and that's a great scripture. But there's so much more to the Bible. There's so much deeper understanding and truth. It says that there's wisdom and there's revelation that can happen. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's so much more to this car but we just keep honking the horn because it's fun. And yes, those are fun things to do, but there's so much more power that you can access that God has for you. 11, Mark 11, 24. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus says, have faith in God. And then he drops down to verse 24 and says, therefore I say to you, whatever things, you and God can pray about whatever things, but Jesus said it, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe by faith, there it is again, by faith that you receive them and something magical happens. You will have them. That's Jesus that said that. Ask and you shall receive. Delight yourself and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Ask the Lord, use your confession, and you will possess it. Amen? I'm just telling you what the blessing is available. You and God can work through this blessing on if you believe it or not. I'm just presenting to you scripturally what it says. The last thing, dominion. Dominion. Genesis chapter 14, verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. As we finish up the blessing. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Dominion. You see, I'm going to give you some backstory of what actually happened. You see, Abraham, Abram at the time, had left his family. You can read in Genesis chapter 12, he leaves, but he brings his buddy Lot with him. He brings his nephew Lot with him. He was supposed to leave everybody and just go himself. He's supposed to leave his country, leave his area, leave his father's house. He was supposed to leave everybody behind except for him and his wife and go out to this new land. But he brings Lot with him, and because he brings Lot, he has some trouble along the way. If you've read the story of Abraham, there's some trouble with Lot all the time. 
Lot shows up, and it's like, it's just this other thing that Abram has to deal with. He's trying to follow God. He's trying to have a baby. He's trying to figure out where he's supposed to go, and Lot keeps getting lost. He's got to stop everything that he's doing. He's got to go take care of Lot. Oops, he's at Sodom and Gomorrah. God's like, by the way, I'm about to blow Sodom and Gomorrah up. He's like, Lot's there. I got to go get him. They start growing. They start getting blessed because the blessing of Abraham was on Lot. Although Lot wasn't even supposed to be there, he was receiving the blessing from Abraham on his life. And Lot started growing so big that he said, I've got to move away from you, Abram. He said, well, you go that way or you go that way, and I'll show up wherever, and God will bless me no matter where I go. And in the middle of them hanging out, there's this war that breaks out. Five kings fight four kings, and four kings beat the five kings, and they spoil all the stuff from the five kings. And they take the women, the children, all the animals and all that, and guess who gets stuck getting taken away by the kings? Our good buddy Lot again. And Abram hears about it. And in Genesis chapter 14, we jump up higher in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 14. Now when Abram heard that his brother, or Lot, was taken captive, he armed his millions and millions of soldiers, trained soldiers. No, that's not what he did. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Barnwell, right around the corner. Verse 16, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And then it's verse 17, and then the very next verse is 18, and Melchizedek shows up on the scene with bread and wine, and he blesses Abraham. He just gets done fighting a battle against four kings, and what happens as he comes out of that victory is the type and shadow of Jesus, the prophet and priest of God Most High, shows up with bread and wine to nourish him and help him and pronounce a blessing over him. Now, this is like five ACC schools fighting four SEC schools. We know those SEC schools were going to win anyway. I went to McNeese State, which is in Louisiana, which is a tiny division negative one school. And Abraham is that little tiny McNeese State, and they're going up against four SEC schools. Now, in the real world, McNeese played Florida yesterday and got the tar beat out of them, 49 to 7. They scored one, they scored one touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter. And little old McNeese State, little old Abraham, who's going up against the SEC schools, has 318 players. And he's going up against four kings. Not four people, four kings, which represents four kingdoms, which represent four armies. He huddles all his men together, and he says, we're going back to get Lot. We're not going to leave him behind. No man gets left behind. They said, okay, Abraham, what's your plan? He said, I'm going to divide you up per king, and you're going to go defeat those kings. He said, okay, 318. Now, I'm not good at math, but if you divide 318 divided by four, it's about 80 people, 80 trained servants were going to fight one king each, 
until they found Lot and brought him and all his goods and all his possessions back. How does Abraham have the gall, the audacity, or even the gumption to go and do this? Because in Genesis 12, he says, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And he knew that he already had dominion, knew he already had God on his side, knew he already had the victory. And he says, I don't care how many people I have. I don't care how many kings you have. I've already won the battle because the dominion is on my side. Because Abraham was blessed of God, he was already in a position of victory before he ever even went to war. And that same position of victory is inside of each and every one of you. The dominion that God has given you already through Jesus' name. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Two more scriptures, and I'm done. For whatever is born of God, remember in John 3, he tells us that we have to be born again, born into God's kingdom, so I am born of God, so what's that mean? I overcome the world. Dominion's already inside of me, and this is the victory that helps us. There's that word again, the victory that helps us overcome the world, our faith. Believing in God, believing in God and what he said is what helps us get the blessing of Abraham. It helps us possess as we confess what we're going through, and it helps us overcome the world. God did not create you to simply cope with your troubles. God did not create you to lose. God created you and he blessed you to win and have dominion and to to suppress and overcome this world. The last scripture I have, Paul writes to his son in the faith. The first part of 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. And what I encourage each and every one of you to do today, fight the good fight of faith. You've already got the victory, but it's time to fight the good fight of faith. The blessing of Abraham has now been given to the Gentiles. In Galatians 3, oh, it's not a scroll that way. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because he died for us. He became a curse for us. There was a great exchange that happened. Christ became a curse so that you could become blessed. Christ became cursed so that you could become blessed. Christ became cursed so that you could become blessed. And it's important that we learn about the blessing, yes, but it's more important that we learn how to walk in that blessing Because when we walk in that blessing, it's what attracts people to say, what's different about you? Well, Christ became my curse. He took care of my curse so that I could become blessed. And because he became a curse, now I'm blessed. And if you're dealing with curses, then let me help you meet Jesus so that he can help you walk in the blessing. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you, come upon me, come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit in faith. Whenever someone dies in your family, you go to a lawyer and they read the will and the testament to you. And Jesus had to die on the cross so that this will and this testament could be spoken and released over you. So you've been read the will and testament of Jesus, the blessing that you've received, and it's this. You've been elevated to a new position, and your name in life is no longer just your name, but you are whoever your name is, of the Most High God. You are also now the possessor of all things in heaven and in earth. Confess and believe in faith and receive what God has for you. And lastly, you've been blessed with dominion over everything. And that includes dominion over sin, 
over the devil, over troubles, or whatever else is coming against you. You have dominion with God on your side over anything that can come against you. The blessing of Abraham is upon you and upon me. Jesus died for it, and by faith you can receive it today. Amen? Be blessed by that. I love that. I love that sermon more than anything else I preach. Y'all stand up today as we get ready to go. Study it. Study it. If you don't believe it, study the scriptures. Go back and listen to the sermon and put God to the test. Ask him if that blessing of Abraham is for you and for your family. And if it is and God reveals it to you, then boy, you better start walking in it. And when you start walking in it, things are going to change in your life. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son to die. We thank you for this gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says that Christ died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day. And in John 3, it says that if anybody believes on that name, if anybody believes on that gospel message, then we are saved. We are taken out of darkness and we are conveyed into the kingdom of light, Father. And so I thank you for this opportunity to believe you, to stand on your word. Father, I thank you for the revelation of the blessing of Abraham that it's something that your son paid such a high price for, and that when we understand it, when we walk in it, Father, that we believe it by faith, that we'll see it this week, that, God, you're going to elevate me. You're going to elevate me over the sin. You're going to elevate me over this world. You're going to elevate me. You're going to help me see that you've brought me into heavenly places. Father, I thank you that the word has promises and blessings, and it says in Jesus all the blessings and all the promises in him are yes and amen. And so I want to possess those blessings. I want to know you more. I want to have a better relationship with you. I want to have a better relationship with people on this earth. I want to experience your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, I'm going to confess your word over my life so that I can possess the blessings and the benefits and the things that you have for me here on this earth. And, Father, I thank you that everyone here has dominion. Using the name of Jesus, we have dominion over the devil. We have dominion over sin. Sin doesn't have a hold on me. Sin doesn't have a hold on my marriage, on my life, on my job, Father. You are the one working in me and through me. And he that the Son sets free is free indeed. And I walk in dominion here on earth but with the authority in the name of Jesus. And, Father, I pray scripture over your people right now. And thank you that they are blessed and highly favored. I thank you that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. I thank you that their body is the temple of the Most High God. I thank you that they are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Father, everywhere they go, they are blessed because everything they put their hands to prospers. And the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, I thank you right now that their body is healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is inside of them and leading them and guiding them into all truth. And Father, I thank you that right now we are the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Your word says that everywhere we go, we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And Father, we are atmosphere and room changers. When I walk into my house, I diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. When I walk into my job tomorrow morning, I diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. I might even go walk into my boss's office just to diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in their office so that they know that Jesus is on my side. Father, I thank you for these people. Use them this week to, one, be blessed and also be a blessing to others. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity to share this glorious gospel message that will change somebody's life. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do, and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you so much. We'll see you all next week. Take care.
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.